This is a Federal News Network podcast. You need a scorecard for the legislative shenanigans going on on Capitol Hill this week. The agenda looks like nothing so much as a game of Chinese checkers. Weighing in with his take on the odds of a shutdown, WTOP Capitol Hill correspondent Mitchell Miller. And they are tying a lot of things into this wonderful Baroque mechanism. What can we expect now? Wow, there is so much going on, as you know. Of course, we had the Office of Management and Budget telling agencies last week to prepare for any kind of contingency. As we know, that's standard practice for OMB. And while we've had several shutdowns over the past decade, this one could be different since we've never had one, obviously, during a pandemic. Dr. Anthony Fauci has said this would be the worst time in the world to have a shutdown with 140,000 people a day still getting affected. A lot of people and businesses still just starting to recover from all the economic problems linked to the pandemic. And then you have complications related to the fact that uh, parts of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and the NIH could be affected by these funds running out. Right now, it does not look good because we're going to get a vote later today in the Senate on the House-passed bill, the short-term resolution that normally we think of, okay, well, they're going to do it again. They're going to roll over another stopgap measure. But as we both know, Republicans have made it very clear they are not going to vote for this because of the extension of the debt limit provision included by Democrats in this short-term spending bill, which, of course, also includes natural disaster aid as well as money for relocating Afghans. But, of course, the key matter uh, related to right now is whether or not there is going to be a shutdown. So tonight, the Republicans, Republicans will filibuster this and it will go down and then we'll have to see where do we go next. Right now, it's looking like there will be a shutdown, at least temporarily. But of course, we still have a few days to work things out till the end of the week. So we'll have to see what happens. But it is not looking good right now with both sides so dug in so deeply on this issue of extending the uh, budget deficit. Because the bill that the House put forward last week for a continuing resolution was to take the government through, I think, December 1st. What about the idea of just a day at a time types of CRs? They've there's some precedent for that also. Right. They could do that. And I think they're going to have to get especially creative this time because there is no indication that Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell and Republicans are going to give in on this. I think at one point, Democrats were kind of hopeful that maybe Republicans would cave. But it's been pretty consistent over the last several weeks and even months, really, that the Republicans were not going to give in on this issue. So it really then falls to the Democrats. What are they going to do? Are they going to try to, as you mentioned, go one day at a time and try to pull this out? There have been some uh, negotiations actually between uh, Republicans and Democrats, uh, some of the longer term uh, people trying to get some kind of agreement that maybe we can just take this uh, deficit part of things out and work on it uh, while we move toward uh, reaching that basic um confrontation, really, if you will, because they do have time that, you know, it could. uh, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has said they have basically until roughly mid-October. But as we both know, the closer we get to um, the federal government literally running out of money on its credit card, uh, the more nervous the markets get. And uh, as we saw about a decade ago, when we got to the brink, it caused a lot of economic problems, even though we never actually uh, reached that point. We're speaking with WTOP Capitol Hill correspondent Mitchell Miller. I guess underlying all this is the fact that there are so many interlocking bills. You've got the bipartisan infrastructure, then you've got the 
three, four, five trillion dollar infrastructure, but yet it seems like there's more agreement on the basic funding of the government, the normal budget, than there is on the rest of it. Yeah, so- that's I know that's the real irony here is that there is generally a consensus that no, we don't want to default on the debt limit. Uh, we want to move ahead. We have to keep the government running, but. As always is the case, it's the politics, and they're just playing both sides of this. And then when we look at the larger uh, matters in connection with the, if we can actually say it's the larger matters, but the fact that that we have the bipartisan infrastructure bill as well as the so-called human infrastructure bill, the fact that all of this is taking place, even some of the longtime lawmakers who have been here for decades say they really can't remember a confluence of this many complicated factors all happening at once. You know, we often go through the wringing of our hands on these shutdown situations and and then say, well, things will get worked out or it'll get worked out on the debt limit. But when you also have people working on so many other different things related to the $3.5 trillion or whatever it turns out to be, along with the $1 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill, all of these things trying to – Democratic leaders trying to get them all to happen this week, it's really, really a complicated situation. And I think – The danger is that it can cause some of the leadership to get their eye off the ball uh, because as we've been pressing lawmakers over the last several weeks, they really don't necessarily at least publicly say that they have a plan B for all of this. And that's what's a little bit disconcerting as we move toward this deadline. Because you keep hearing that this issue of disagreement among this constituent group or that one, that group, this group of Democrats versus that group of Democrats is a real problem for leadership. But maybe that's wrong. Maybe the leadership is a problem for the rank and file. Right, because uh, the rank and file, frankly, has been pretty consistent. You know, I mean, let's take a look at the Democrats, for example, with the moderates and, re- and progressives, which, which have been going back and forth. And, of course, uh, understandably, that's received a lot of attention. But really, uh, if you look at their positions, they have been fairly consistent over the last several months weeks and months. Uh, The moderates saying we want to stick to getting this bipartisan infrastructure bill passed. It's something that both parties can agree to for the most part. It's a win for President Biden. Why not get that done? The progressives on the other side, well, there's been a little more wiggle room there in in connection with it. Uh, Pramila Jayapal, who heads the Progressive Caucus, has said, look, we've stuck with this three and a half trillion dollar figure for a long time. We've said these are our priorities. We've made that very clear clear to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. And, you know, we know that House Speaker Pelosi is very good at turning around things and and getting the votes that she needs. And she doesn't want to put things on the floor unless she knows that the votes are there, much in the same way, obviously, on the Democratic side, that uh, Senate, when he was Senate Majority Leader, Mitch McConnell has operated. They are both very canny and parliamentarian. So it's interesting to see that the Democratic leadership has had some real trouble uh, wrangling all of this together because, uh, for example, just the fact that the Democratic Democrats have not really wanted to talk about that top line figure much beyond the $3.5 trillion because it's really become clear that that figure is not going to hold. But nobody actually wants to put out 
another number out there, even though they were working over the weekend, the House Budget Committee marking things up. But there's so many moving parts related to that legislation that it's much different than a normal markup because you're effectively marking up something that you don't know what the final cost of the whole legislation is. Yeah, and most people wouldn't run anything else in their private lives that way. So even members of Congress, some of them at least, at some point say, well, maybe I shouldn't sign on to this. So the irony here, there's a little bit more unanimity on the Republican side at the moment than on the Democratic side. Right. And they almost seem to relish the fact that they are being sitting on the sidelines related to this, because what they have been trying to do politically, at least for the last several weeks, is just say, you know what, we're going to make our position very clear on the debt limit. They're not going to support it. And they are just going to effectively what they hope politically is to watch the Democrats crash and burn on this. Now, on the other side, uh, Senate Majority Leader Schumer and House Speaker Pelosi last week held a news conference together along with the Treasury Secretary, and they tried to project calm. Literally, House Speaker Pelosi says, normally people get all antsy about all of this stuff, but I try to stay calm because I know this is how it all happens. But I think that was part of a messaging effort to the rank and file, because earlier in the week last week, there was a lot of nervousness uh, here on the Hill and a lot of discussion about what happens if all of this just completely falls apart. Because, of course, if this does not fully get through on the Democratic side, then this is really the last chance for President Biden to get any of this major, a huge, massive spending plan through. Because If it dies in the next week or so, there's really no chance politically that they can bring that back from the brink. And by the way, is there a fence still around the Capitol? It was down and up again and down again. What's the status? Well, here at the Capitol, it's really nice to see that the fence went down very quickly after the rally, which only drew a few hundred people. I was actually there uh, this not this past weekend, but the weekend before. And uh, it was interesting to see just. You know, very small group there with this huge presence of Capitol Police and all the other law enforcement agencies. Uh, and that fence, actually, they put up a fence around the U.S. Supreme Court as well, which they did not do after January 6th. But all of that fencing, uh, as promised by uh, U.S. Capitol Police Chief Tom Manger, came down uh, starting on Sunday. And by the time people came into work a week ago, it was all gone. So it's been interesting to see that the Capitol, in some respects, despite All these very different things going on right now uh, has a sense of normalcy to a certain extent because the fencing is no longer here. The fact that you have both chambers back in, you do have House members uh, required to wear masks along with staff and and members of the media. Not so the case on the Senate side, uh, although they do uh, generally wear masks. So you still feel the impact of the pandemic here for sure in the Capitol. But uh, given the fact that we have all of the lawmakers back, It does seem a little bit more normal, that aside from all the things that we just talked about with the trillions of dollars ready to either implode or explode, depending on your point of view. All right. Well, when you wear a mask on Capitol Hill, you still have to hold your nose. Mitchell Mitchell Miller is Capitol Hill correspondent for WTOP. Thanks so much. You bet. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. 
During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin and what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, 
what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to, to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and um, his his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author, She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, And I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally and, agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening, 
to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. Looking to expand or move your company? Ohio has the talent you need to scale for growth. Ohio's central location, reliable infrastructure, and top-ranked business climate are here to help you succeed. Get to business. Visit successinohio.com today. It's a well-known fact that good sleep leads to a happier life. Okay, maybe that's not a fact fact, but... Don't you just feel amazing after a great night's sleep? Like the first night back in your own bed after traveling. It's time to demand more first night back kind of sleep. Stop tossing and turning and talk with your doctor about how you can seize the night and day. And visit SeizeTheNightAndDay.com to learn more.